I think they're just trying to kill the children. Okay. And, and it is a children's movie? Yes, yes. Brunch! Hit it, boys! So, uh, Twitter, hashtag Twitter is over party? Yeah, apparently, huh? Yeah, maybe the one good thing that Donald Trump has ever done. Maybe the, uh, we came on to this the other day, uh, said not looking into why something in, is trending on Twitter during the pandemic is considered self-care. Because we talked about this, that like, it's, it'll say like, hashtag like Jackie Chan is over party. And you're like, why? And you click on it. And it'll either be a joke or it'll be a bunch of people saying, like, really? You're trying to cancel Jackie Chan? That doesn't make sense. Hashtag Jackie Chan is over party. And you're like, okay, well, why are you using that hashtag? But, uh, yeah, Donald Trump, uh, big mad at Twitter, which, I mean, there's some irony there. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, you think? His, <laughs> that's his shit. Like, yeah, it's also, I mean, it's, it's very funny, also not funny that, like, all the things that he could be doing and, and like acting quickly on. And then as soon as like Twitter gets him in trouble and, or and like pulls down a couple of his tweets, he's like, Oh, we got to ban Twitter. Yeah. I'll tell you, I hadn't looked at uh, Trump's Twitter in a long time. We haven't talked about Trump in a long time. Uh, I think we're uh, probably think the same as uh, we left off whenever the last time we talked about Trump was, but this has forced me. So he is like uh, Twitter added, a couple of uh, like buttons or badges to his tweets where at the bottom it will just say like, Hey, if you'd like more information about this, uh, here's how you can look into it because uh, maybe this tweet isn't giving you the information that you need. So he's very upset that they're fact checking him, but it made me just go. I went to his Twitter right now to try to find, uh, try to see the tweets that, uh, that got him in trouble. And, uh, just to see what it looked like in the wild. And I got to tell you, I haven't found them, but his Twitter is it's a mess, dude. even more of a mess than I thought it could be. <laughs> there's a, there, one, there's a SoundCloud there. Like, I don't know if he's linking to like a parody song or something. Uh, seven hours ago, he said all over the world, capital W, uh, the coronavirus, a very bad quote gift from China marches on. Not good! Exclamation point. <laughs> I mean, he's a te- he's obviously a terrible guy, and like we all hate him, or a lot of us hate him. But like some of the stuff that he does is just objectively funny. Like, do you just think the way that he carries himself is objectively funny? Do you think though that he? Um, because I'm always suspicious uh, about like. Do you remember when um, Bleacher Report when uh, the national team won uh the world cup and bleacher report put out yes yeah uh, like usa and it was like this like super awkward uh the mural mural the mural involving like every person in the history of pop culture and it was like like uh it was like alex morgan uh zach efron like George Michael Clooney. Scott was in there. Yeah, like this like really weird mishmash of like, hey, like we just won in soccer, and they put that out, and everybody crapped all over it, and they were like, uh, this is weird. Uh, Bleacher Report, you're being fucking weird. Get out of here. Quit. Why be? Oh, this is so weird. And you can't help but think there's some gain. To putting something so fucking either dumb or yeah, no, weird yeah, or mean, tone well, deaf like, out there. Yeah, a hundred percent. Look like, at Skip Bayless. <laughs> right. That that when um when Trump said like uh congratulations to the Chiefs representing the great state of uh Kansas. Kansas, yeah. He's I think he's really dumb. But to to write that tweet out and hit send on it. I don't think anyone is actually that dumb. So I think that a lot of it, he, he, he whether it's like clout, I don't know if like he's going to get some, if there's some payoff for it, but for whatever reason, he's incentivized to put especially dumb things out there. Well, uh, yeah. And I also just think that like, 
when you're when you're followed by like a bunch of dumb people and they eat it up you're like oh your brain just like skews towards like towards like what are the dumb things that i can put out there and feed these people yeah but and that probably doesn't help (laughs) but like the so like the kansas thing though is anyone being like right on brother because i mean I can't see that being the case. I think that, that for whatever reason, and I can't put my finger on it. That'll be a theme of this episode. I can't put my finger on it. There is some incentive, some reason for him to say something super stupid. And like the, in the case of the Kansas City thing, that wasn't offensive. I don't think anyone no. from Kansas City was like, hey, wrong state, you idiot. You think he but, like Rovell's it where he like knows that everybody's going to laugh at him and he just like, he's like whatever. I don't I don't see him being that kind maybe, of guy. Maybe because though. I think it gets so much I think that maybe one day he'll say and he has 80 million Twitter followers. Maybe it's so we can say my tweets get the most engagement of anybody. Which I guess on yeah. one hand is smart. Like if you've got a lot of followers and you tweet something really stupid. Obviously, if you tweet something horrible, which is mostly what he does, it's going to get a lot of action. But if you just tweet out like a joke that doesn't make sense, or like a, like if Donald Trump with 80 million followers tweeted out, the Dallas Cowboys are quickly becoming the Dallas Owlboys, hashtag injuries, <laughs> there would get there would be a lot of engagement on that. You, you know Twitter sure. more than me, right? Like that, yeah, that's going I, to get, for sure it would be, yeah. Everybody is going to see that, everybody's gonna retweet it, everyone's gonna respond and call him dumb. Then doesn't he get to go to, I don't know, when he's applying for his next job or whatever, he can be like, I am the best at Twitter. Yeah. yeah I tweet anything and it gets, like, don't look at what the tweet is. Just don't look at the tweets. But <laughs> my average tweet elicits this. And it's, it'll be some mind-blowing. It's fucked up to say, like, Trump has to be, like, the the biggest Twitter person. By the numbers, like, probably the, the best Twitterer. So then maybe Twitter should be just so then yeah that's so depressing that Trump maybe you but his his Twitter presence is so weird because like obviously it seems like he sends a lot of them himself and he like has control over it but like there's no way he's going through like all these mentions and stuff and like what these retweets that are that he because he retweets a lot too he retweets yes. a lot of like random accounts like do you think that he just goes through his fucking mentions and also like he has those videos that he posts that pe- people like clearly made for him. And like they're edited and shit, and like the the, the yeah. custom memes and stuff. Like, do you think that's that's got, is that a social media person that's posting those for him, or is he like literally just downloading videos and posting them? It is a good question of does he go through his mentions? Because I'll tell you, I have twenty seven thousand Twitter followers, I think, which is a lot lower than eighty million Twitter followers, and I don't go through my mentions. I have my mentions mostly. Like I only see people that uh, either people I follow or people that no no people that follow me. So if you retweet something that I've tweeted, and then someone responds to it and either says, "Hey, great tweet" or "terrible tweet," I don't even see that. Right. And yeah. I mean, like anytime that I have a tweet pop off that like has like five thousand retweets or something, it's like I'm not seeing those mentions. You have to be on Twitter like all day scrolling through your mentions, seeing the replies and seeing the interactions to get all of those. And he obviously with 80 million followers is getting that and then like a shitload more on everything he sends. Right. Now add in he should be busy. <laughs> right. Like, like and <laughs> and he's tweeting all day. So right. he has like like fifty to a hundred tweets a day, all getting right. viral reactions. You're right. So it's not responses. even responses. It's not even like he tweets something asinine in the morning and hey, how are you still keeping up with the responses to this? You should be working. <laughs> He's <laughs> continuing to tweet things that right. are eliciting that same volume of response, still not working. <laughs> and somehow keeping up with them. Like I would I would watch a documentary or like read a case study on just how he approaches Twitter. Yeah, I feel like there's like some sort of uh, like meme now of uh, people will say like, oh, like it really do be like that. And you just point out something that's like very basic. I think that we just uh, like Donald Trump really do be on Twitter a lot. (laughs) Donald Trump really do be uh, a uh, polarizing Twitter presence. I don't know. he, uh, He really, he really goes for it on Twitter. Newsflash. 
we should animate this clip. We should make like an animated clip of like <laughs> our like cartoon mouths just being like, I checked out Donald Trump's Twitter page. Oh my God. You want to find a wacky follow? <laughs> Try at what's even his name. You heard of this guy? You guys heard of this guy? He's, he's great on Twitter. He's a great, crazy the, dude on Twitter. Also, what an unbelievably bad Twitter avatar. I know it's just, it's so bad, dude. He's just like, it's like the most zoomed up scowl. photo on his face. <laughs> yeah, he's making a terrible face. I, dude, I just, I just changed my uh, Twitter avatar, and when I picked the picture, I like I zoomed out. I'm like, I want there to be less of my face in it. Like the farther away it is, the maybe you can he fill in. Even, the, he doesn't the, even have his hair in there. Like, in the, his hair is like the like. The, his signature thing well there's jokes to be made there of his hair not being there because i think a lot of people would argue his hair is not there but how did you nobody notice- talk about by the way like when he did that press conference um like a couple months ago when his hair was just clearly super gray he oh really yeah remember i sent you the pictures i took pictures of it and he did a press conference and just had clearly like run out of hair dye or something because it was so gray, and he looked looked like forty years older. He looked huh. like a ninety year old man. Have you ever? And then the next day, it was back to being blonde. You know that one time um, there was a real fascination with John Travolta's hair situation because he was uh, on an award show one night and on a talk show the next day, like a live talk show. These were both live events, and on. <laughs> The, the 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 nightly thing, the award show, he had short hair, and the next day he was on something where he had long hair. <laughs> and this was, I don't think the internet was really popping enough yet. I mean, if this happened now, he would have been just, <laughs> they, would, they would have been like, yo, strike five, John Travolta. We're done trying to figure you out. I'm about, I'm about to record all of my Stanley Cup playoff content and like Different reactions with with this hair now and then i'm gonna shave it like next month so dude that's such a good idea yeah and then have like uh, every uh, every other series i'll have long hair buzzed cut uh long hair buzz cut <laughs> i love that move i mean that is i don't know if people got the answer to this but uh that's what was going on with the john travolta thing they were like yo john travolta you gonna act like you didn't just have short hair last night and then suddenly your hair grew a real ton i uh i like the fact that that report came out saying that there's an alternate universe in which time moves backwards because did you see that report no well the the gist of it is that there's an alternative universe that mirrors ours except time moves backwards out out what how many times do i gotta say it happy death day two even the Spider-Verse. That was a kid's movie. I didn't fucking get what was going on. Almost lost me. Almost yeah, lost me. don't do alternate <laughs> universe stuff. Whether it's a movie, whether it's real life, I don't believe in any alternate universe. No, 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 I no. do like that that exists just for the sake of the jokes because uh, yesterday, uh, Katie Nolan basically tweeted, she tweeted at me and said like, how Big do you look for younger? Katie. Yeah, it's true. Uh, how do you look younger in, in, in quarantine and uh, and a bunch of people were like, he's fr- he's not the real Pete. He's from that alternate universe, Pete. Oh, boo! Pretty good. Hate Pretty that. Good. Re- Big oh. fan. Uh, I don't even know if I totally get that joke. Is that, is that just saying like it's, a, it's just saying like I look younger. Backwards? Yeah, time's going backwards. Uh, so, um good stuff. Uh, speaking of being a big fan, mm-hmm. there's no shortage of uh, action going on at BetOnline.ag. Ooh. The sports are still coming back. Slowly, steadily, NASCAR's back. Uh, bet Online has hundreds of games, events, and sports to still get in on. You can bet on the KBO. You can bet on Bundesliga. The EPL is coming back next month. You should get in on that train. I'm telling you. I've been telling you for years, man. This would be the time. Yep. This would be. This should be the time. Uh, EPL coming back June 17th. Get excited. You can also bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC action, or even participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament that you can enter for free. Coming up, 
Bet Online has ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they are calling the final dance. This might be an old copy. That might be a, a thing that's not happening anymore, but don't take my word for it. You can find out, out by visiting. Go to betonline.ag. Yeah. Yeah. You can find out yourself by visiting the website and using your mobile device and joining today to receive your new welcome bonus uh, and check out all the action. Bet online, your online wagering solution. So again, that's betonline.ag. It's a good website to bet on sports. Go for it. Yeah, and who knows? If, who knows if that copy is new or old? Just uh, betonline.ag. Just taste it. Figure it out yourself. Yeah, Just go. It's new. It's new in the uh, in the alternate universe of brunch. Yeah, uh, we've got a guest today. We're talking about uh, the 1975 on this episode. More basically, the I think we're just I would say discussing the discussion about the 1975 because the 1975 put out a new album, and I feel like everyone I don't say I don't feel like this. I know this. Everyone's always trying to get to the bottom of the 1975. So we have uh, Nora Princiati from soon to be the Ringer joining us she's a 1975 fan but she's also in a similar boat to us where i think she understands they pull a lot of shit those kids yeah yeah they pull an absolute lot of shit and i I, uh this was somewhat eye-opening for me because i realized that i'm not totally like as in on the 1975 as i thought like i'm a i'm a big fan of their music or some of their music at least but uh, I wasn't aware of all the uh, of all the noise going on around the band. Yeah, I, I want to hit on this before we jump into the conversation with Nora. Um, I pulled up a bunch of reviews and we didn't really get to them in the actual discussion. But my point with the reviews is that like every reviewer is trying to make some sort of uh, aha declaration about them. And that's what kind of makes the whole 1975 thing. Uh, a well, little I think, I feel exhausting like that's music reviewing in general. Yeah, I feel but like not, every music review is just trying to be like, aha, I understand this. Yeah, but I think that, like, let me, th- I think that the 19, 1975 album release week is like Super Bowl week for yeah, music yeah. reviewers. Like, I think that any other, I don't know, like, take, take, uh, maybe it's a bad example because uh, perhaps a lot of these people aren't in the business anymore, but like, whoever like the top dog music reviewers were in uh, like in the early two thousands when like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were releasing their albums that would like rival each other. And that's like all anyone would talk about music. I feel like music reviewers didn't care as much about their review for these like hugely important albums as they do with the 1975. They're like, all right, everyone's going to cut. Everyone's going to be trying their best. Like I would say that like, music different music reviewers they're the in sync and backstreet boys of like i've got to make this one really count i got to beat this one so uh yeah like the, the the leads are always like either like the 1975 are lost right now or like the 1975 are distracted or one of them was like last week or like two years ago maddie healy made fun of justin bieber and like it's always some like very like dramatic like Here's where we are in the world, and here's where the 1975 ties into it. Okay, um, <laughs> but this was this is a different review, and I want to shed a little light on it because it was by uh, I don't know if you know this guy. I think your uh, former coworker Steve Hyden. Uh, he was. I think he had gotten in right after I'd gotten out. Okay, so uh, Uprocks guy. I'll admit, um, I I didn't really have an opinion on him, but uh, he's been uh, he's part of the. Uh, time crisis universe so i've A-okay more about gone, you then yeah so i've more like gone to his stuff and uh he and i i quite respect him um but this was a review that i found was very different from the other ones and it didn't seem as um as like f- feeling the need to kind of play the game of like i want to win the 1975 discussion uh no band i ostensibly like annoys me more than the 1975 what a lead uh they annoy me so much that i can probably no longer accurately describe myself as a fan if this is where i exit the bandwagon it might as well be with their most bloated and self-important album the forthcoming 22 track 80 minute notes on a conditional form due out friday so he goes into saying that like he defended them for a while and then he is on something that you and i were saying a lot with uh nora and nora was nora was saying like 
1975 just needs to be told it's okay to only put out your good songs. And like, if you record 13, if you record like, I don't know, 40 songs, when you go to make an album, you don't have to put out 22 of them. You can put out 10 of them and have it be a great album. And that's what, that's a lot of what this uh, Steve Hyden review says, which is like, I think he said something like, uh, if you just get in and get out, like you, they do with uh, the sound or love me, they're great. But over the years, maybe it's because everyone talks about them so much and is trying to get to the bottom of them. They've arrived at the conclusion that they're deep. Mm-hmm. And I think, and we'll get, you'll, you'll hear all this. Like we make a lot of Father John Misty comparisons. The 1975 is not that deep, right? No. And so like that's, that drives me crazy because what they are, they're basically, they're basically like the guy at the party who thinks that he's fucking smarter and deeper and like more sensitive than everybody and just like has to let everybody know it. And he just comes off as the most insufferable guy in the room. So, but you can ignore that guy, but we never do. Like we're about to to get into like a, I don't know, 35 minute discussion about <laughs> that guy. And that's on, I don't know. That's like, I, I don't just find the 1975 a little abrasive. I find the conversation around them abrasive. And I th- it's very, I think you're right. Like at its core, it's Maddie Healy's fault. Like if you didn't start this shit, we wouldn't <laughs> have everyone trying to figure out why you're so deep when in reality, you're not even that deep at all. Uh, but it was cool to chat with Nora. This was actually kind of a, a Zoom a miracle, might be a bit of a stretch, but uh, the Zoom ran out just as uh, Nora was finishing up, really just like a humdinger of a joke. So yeah. it was like just, it was honestly, Perfect. it was like the, uh, it was honestly like how we do the opens where we'll just like play a little clip that's kind of funny. And then just like right as we're starting to laugh, the music comes in, and that's the episode. She had, this ends up being a pretty good walk-off uh, joke. So you know what? Uh, you know what I think might be good for the podcast too. By the way, is to have a constant thing at the top of the screen that says less than one minute remaining in the Zoom. Because as soon as that came up, our energy was great, man. Dude, we were like point. trying to fire off takes and like get our things out succinctly. And we were just, the energy was so high. That is such a good point. I definitely noticed that. So I just, uh, I just went and edited it. Uh, so, oh, sorry. I just, uh, I just did. Uh, I, I just, what did I do? I, what are their names? You broke the fourth wall. No, what are their, uh, <laughs> what are the, uh, the, the call me daddy uh, people. Oh, Sophia and uh, and uh, Alex. One of them would get upset when the other one would say that they uh, were editing it because it made yep. them seem like they were doing more work than the other one. Yep. So while you're lazy just, uh, was doing yeah, just a little uh, peek behind the scenes, DJ's been doing all the work the past month. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I I think you're joking. But yeah, well, no, we, we uh, I don't know, a little peek behind the scenes. We take turns editing the episodes, which yeah. is just uh, basically putting them together. I haven't done a lot of it right lately, though. I think I'm in debt. Uh, you if you are, it's oh, no, this is true, because uh, I've been, as the listeners know, I've been in charge of recording the episodes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And uh, when you record on Zoom, it just for like five minutes afterwards, it, it turns it into an audio thing and then it's on your computer. And I'm like, in that five minutes, I can fire up logic and have everything ready to go. And then by the time it's done, I just drag it in and it takes like two seconds to edit it. So it's, it would be more cumbersome for me to send it to you and then you have to do it. We're all about the least amount of man hours. Mm-hmm. So even if like me sending it to you saves me like five minutes of work. Worth it. You, you now have to do like 10 minutes of work and I just did five minutes of work. So it's not, it's, it ends up being like a, a net loss. So right. no, but I agree. I was going back and uh, editing it. And in the final, like you, you just really see it pick up. And it's definitely when that thing popped up because we were talking about, uh, I'll say we do. So this, this episode's a bit of a rerun. We talk about some 1975 things we've already talked about, like, uh, Maddie Healy wanting to kiss the interviewer and Maddie Healy being super mean to Imagine Dragons. But we're talking about Imagine Dragons and whether or not Maddie Healy is mean. And that thing pops up and suddenly we're like, we do, instead of talking through like where we're going to be, we're like, this would be the end of the point I'm about to make. And it's just (laughs) all, it's just all punchlines. So, uh, so I I, I thought it was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, It was 
we say it is uh, kind of hilarious to have a technically a, a ringer employee on, but uh, Nora is going to the ringer, and I think that is a gangbusters hire for them. I think that yep. between she's obviously a great football writer, but uh, she's like in I would say the she's on like the short list of like when a new album comes out, the person like the people that I'll text as I'm listening to it. She's very good at, and she mentions this, like, uh, you know how we we've done on our blog, the, uh, a million years ago, like survival guides, like yeah. how to cope with, uh, something that may be stressful to listen to. She's very good at that. So, uh, without further ado, here's Nora Princiati, uh, technically still of the globe, but soon of the ringer helping us discuss the discussion of the 1975. But first, did you know a healthy diet can help boost a healthy immune system? Ooh, there, got him! There's a lot of information going around right now on how to keep yourselves healthy and virus-free. And Awaken 180, loss, Awaken 180 Weight Loss is here to help. They want you to know that along with other important preventative measures, eating healthy can help strengthen your immune system too. If your body is preoccupied cleaning up from unhealthy foods, then it isn't able to invest the energy in fighting off new diseases, and you may be more likely to get sick and stay sick longer. With Awaken 180 Weight Loss, you can become your healthiest self while still being socially responsible. Instead of gaining weight while stuck at home, why not lose weight with Awaken 180 Weight Loss? You'll receive weekly one-on-one virtual coaching, the tools, and the foods all from the comfort of your own home. Make the most of staying at home during quarantine time and call the solution for weight loss, Awaken 180 Weight Loss, online at awaken180weightloss.com. The 1975 has a new album out, so we are now making brunch history by bringing on our first ever ringer guest. No one thought it would happen, but we showed him. What's up, Nora Princiati? Okay, so technically I'm still employed by the Boston Globe for like two more days. So this is, uh, I think you're also our first, probably our first Boston Globe guest. Okay, sweet. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, 1975 put out a new album and they are, they're just an endlessly noisy band. Not even that like a lot of their songs are actual noise, but Pete, I asked you this earlier, answer this very simple question. Would you say you're a 1975 fan? Yes, for sure. But, and there's a, but yeah. There's, there's got to be, I feel like most people's answer for like liking 1975 would be followed by but. Right, because their music like can't just exist because they've got Matty Healy, very hot guy, very eccentric man. Uh, but there's also like a real like aggression there and a lot of like punk would be wrong or like nonconformist would be wrong because there's still like this big pop band and everything. But like. I don't know. There's always something going on with them, whether he's being mean to somebody or whether they're putting out like people call them insufferable and they lean into that. So Nora, I'll ask you like as a bigger 1975 fan than us, what is your experience with them? Okay. So I would unequivocally love the 1975 if we didn't have to talk about them, but (laughs) I don't have the self-discipline to extricate myself from the 1975 album cycle which is the album comes out, everybody's tweeting about it. Most of the tweets are annoying. Some of them are good. Some of them are from Maddie Healy himself. And I say to myself, this is going to be the album that I'm just going to listen to. I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm listening to it. I don't have to discuss it. I don't have to engage. And then two hours later, I start feeling existential dread of what would happen if I listened to a 1975 album and didn't tell anybody about it. And then... Now we're on a podcast. That's really interesting because like that is like what you're aiming for is exactly my experience with the 1975. Like I don't know anything about them other than like they're a little bit annoying uh, or they're very annoying uh, and they just have some undeniable bangers. Like I don't talk about the 1970. This is going to be the most that I've ever talked about the 1975. I deeply envy that. We Even have, though I well, I'm like, very now I'm very like curious and very interested into like the 1975 experience. So this is going to be fun for me because I don't so, know much. I mean, I feel like everything we've done with the 1975 has been like five to ten minutes max, and it's always like it reminds me of how we got into Father John Misty, which is like, look what this shit's up to now. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember um, 
I like I was never huge like I've liked their songs as they've come out, but I've never been like, all right, I'm setting my watch to the 1975. Uh, but there was an interview with uh, Matty Healy. It was a video. He was being interviewed at a festival or something, and like very unprofessional. He kept changing the subject to how attractive he found the interviewer. And by the end of the interview, Pete, do you remember this? Yes, I sure do. By this the end of the staple. interview, <laughs> he asked the interviewer if he could kiss him. And like they made out for a little bit. And like the interviewer was like, hey, like I'm happily married. Like, uh, th- thank you very much. Like, I, I appreciate these comments. Oh, my-, my wife's going to really like this. He kept like steering the conversation to like he had a wife. And by the end of it, Maddie Healy was like, I- if it's okay, I'd like to kiss you. So they kissed and we were like, all right, so something's going on with these fucking guys. So I would say that that Matty Healy creates a lot of it himself. Like you said, like everyone's annoying about them, but a lot of the times it is him. I don't like to be shit um, cynical for like, like the sake of being cynical. I don't like to yuck people's yums. Right, right. But the 1975, for some reason, it's like fair game. I remember when it came, the album came out a couple weeks ago or last week, I tweeted... If anyone has any extra size for the next couple hours, I might need them. Both to this new 1975 album. That's just what, what people do. And like, I feel like people might talk about the 1975 more than they actually listen to them. And then there turned out to be, I'm blanking on which song it is, but there's a lyric on the album about sighing as a reaction to somebody's take on something. So then that, that brings me to this. I do think the 1975 deserves the reputation that father john misty has and like i don't know i guess i guess they're they're both very beloved acts but father john misty is called insufferable and he's like oh well i guess i just can't help that i'm smarter than all you idiots and the 1975 are called insufferable and they're like look we've heard your feedback here's an hour and a half long album with like 80% 80% of the songs have break beats and are unlistenable. Like, but suck it. They, here's, like, the difference. Being called here's the difference awful. between that comparison for me uh, is that, like, uh, Father John Misty is the adult version of that. Like, he is an adult person who seems, like, really smart and, like, sophisticated. And the 1975 is, like, the high school version of that where they're just like, well, I'll just be a fucking asshole then. Yeah, well, the that's... Is and I don't say this as a value judgment, but the 1975 is a more popular band than Father John Misty is, which Definitely. means that they are right in that critical sweet spot where people know them. You know that if you do a review of a 1975 album, there's a lot of people who are interested, but there's enough sort of like excess noise going on with them that there's something to write about beyond just the songs. Now, yeah. I might argue that those reviews would be would be better if they were just about the song but you know always fun to discuss the end of the world with our friend maddie healy for a little bit and then get into it so so we are definitely going to get to reviews because i love those but on like the actual intellectual value of the product this is one of my notes for this podcast with father john misty you're hesitant to take it seriously for fear that he's playing a joke on you and like making fun of you they're like if you go up to father john misty and you're like hey i heard this song and dude the line where you say this that totally got me he there might be a fear that he'll say back to you of course you fucking thought that see this is exactly what i'm talking about and like you feel seen mocked whatever with the 1975 you're hesitant to take it seriously because there's such a good chance it's just stupid <laughs> that like and that they're just like absolutely uh throwing shit against the the wall that was my biggest barrier of entry into father john misty was like me not knowing if i'm allowed to like a song yeah like it's, <laughs> it's so annoying but it's again like, i would say wait, am i supposed to like this song no but again Should i would I say like this one so that's why i think that 1975 deserves the reputation more because i think that they're more likely to make something that they fucking want you to hate. Like they want, like they will intentionally put something out there that will get all the critics thinking and saying, why did they make this, uh, this like noisy screaming song early on in this album? And they'll be like, oh yeah, well see, like you're just fucking wasting your time with that. I think that someone like Father John Misty is like, look, if you find me insufferable, I probably am insufferable, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I think that a lot of the 1975 is more reactionary. Like they... They're like, we have this reputation 
of, and it's probably just Healy. Like I have this reputation of being, I found this term in a review. Uh, you guys know the term enfant terrible? Nope. I, yeah. So Nora does. That's some Boston Globe shit. Um, I did not know this term and it's my favorite term in the world. It just means someone who does shit to annoy people. <laughs> right? Is that what it means? Yeah. Yeah. You guys are like the <laughs> les enfants terribles of podcasting. Do you speak French? I do speak French. Not uh, particularly well. But. Should we change the name of the podcast? Les, les, I actually do like les enfants terribles. I can't, I, I can't okay. do a French accent of, of podcasting. I want to ask you a question about what you were saying about if they're trying to get you to like something that they think is actually terrible. What is your relationship with the songs that are just music, no lyrics? I, don't, just, I skip. Yes, I skip. So I skip if it's just music. I skip if uh, it's breakbeats. And I'd I'd like to I'd like for one music critic to like do a deep dive on like the jazz slash breakbeats relationship uh, that the nineteen seventy that the relationship that uh, nineteen seventy five has with that because half of their songs are just like straightforward like pop rock songs and i feel like those are the ones that are beloved and they have these other super weird ones and i feel like now i'm being a music critic i feel like they do it so they can say like we're different and we make different shit and like we're innovative but the only shit that people like that you do is your fucking straightforward fucking pop rock songs no yeah, no, I agree with that. And like they they seem like very pretentious and throwing that stuff in there is tough to swallow. Like it's and also like a big part of it for me is that I like the 1975 just cuz they're so overly British that like it comes through <laughs> in like the the lyrics and stuff. So if there's if that's missing, I'm not super into it. One of my favorite things about this album uh Nora and I were texting about this on the song, uh, the birthday, is it the birthday song? The birthday party. Um, he, the birthday song. <laughs> the birthday song. Yeah. The lyrics are happy birthday to you. He says something about like, uh, there was another guy called Maddie, which is very British say called instead of named. Uh, but the rhyme is Cincinnati. And I always find it funny when non-American bands uh, reference like non New York LA or Chicago cities in their songs. I guess I don't, I don't know if that makes them sound more sophisticated or what, but so I'm like, you know what? Maddie Healy's probably been to Cincinnati way more than I have. I've never been it's to fucking the, Cincinnati. It's the second song that's ever been made about Cincinnati. The first one is from Babes, Babes and Toyland. Toyland. Fuck yeah. <laughs> they were going to call it Cincy, but since Cincy was so natty, they named it Cincinnati. <laughs> you ever see Babes in Toyland, Nora? No. Do you know what oh, it is? Oh God. No, I'm unfamiliar with this. So there was a child actor named uh, Drew Barrymore and she was in like a bunch of stuff and she was um, she was like this big child actor and she was in a movie, a Christmas movie where there's a snow, there's a snowstorm. So for some reason they end up in this weird toy land with uh, a hunk uh, played by a young Keanu Reeves and there's a mean guy named Barnaby. He lives in a bowling ball. And he has uh, these, like, what are essentially Koopa Troopas. And they're trying to, are they trying to, like, kidnap a prince? They're trying to, like, steal They're somebody. trying to, like, kill them. Are they just trying to kill everybody? I think they're just trying to kill the children. Okay. And, and is a children's movie? Yes, yes. Supposedly. Yes, and there's a, supposedly. Si- there's a sing-along, like, I, I, I suppose it's quite, um, it's quite Wizard of Oz in that throughout the movie, there's like a real longing for going home. And instead of Kansas, it's Cincinnati. So like, they're just always talking very like wistfully about Cincinnati. Like once we get back to Cincinnati, so there's there's a big rose references. Oh yeah. And in in the beginning, right in the beginning, before they end up in this bad place, they're doing a, uh, they're singing along to a song about Cincinnati. And then they sing that song in toyland i think it's a means of getting home but it's like uh the girls are pretty pretty in this pretty little city the fellas are the feistiest i've seen or something like that and it's just all about like how cincinnati a has a bitchin name they were gonna <laughs> call it cincy but since he was a little too natty for them also apparently everyone in cincinnati is gorgeous 
That's what they sing about in the Cincinnati song. And Barnaby, I feel like is play. I feel like they that actually has like a semi stacked cast, meaning it has Drew Barrymore, Keanu Reeves, and maybe a third person. I mean, that's strong just as a two, but <laughs> this movie sounds. It is an acid trip. Dark. It's amazing. That's a good way of putting it. It is an acid trip. Uh, what did you guys actually think of this actual album? Um, I like it. I like it a lot. I think so. I think I could have like a little side hustle, um, just sort of like counseling people towards finding peace with mainly the 1975, but probably some other other musical acts because I, maybe I'm being too generous. I think I think they like their bad stuff. Like I think the things that I think are bad, they did on purpose. And that's fine. I'm. I think I'm particularly adept at just getting over it and so, choosing to partake. So for me, this the experience of this album is a very pleasant one with a lot of sort of you know big poppy tunes and a little bit of country influence, which is interesting and new for them. I and made a, a good song at the end. I made a playlist uh, as I was listening to it where I would just, if I liked a song, I would just add it to a playlist. So it was like a condensed version of this album. And I think the playlist ended up being like five to 10 songs long, which is good, but it's a 22 song album. And like there's songs where there's either no music or uh, a speech from uh, a young climate change activist to, to kick off the album. How do we feel about the uh, always starting the albums with a song called the 1975 again i think that's a cool move i think it's a cool move it's so annoying (laughs) so i think that if i were to say stop doing it it would be it would qualify as yucking yums yeah but i really don't need it like i always know like i'll tell you what when i listen to it i'm like this will be the first and last time i listen to this song when did when did, when did, do you ever go back and be like, oh man? I no, really- you don't go back. It's not like a it's not like a repeatable thing. But I think that it's a a, a a unique and kind of cool way to start an album. But you know what? When when Fun did the Some Nights intro on their uh, classic album Some Nights, that little song was actually a good song. And like I I remember when I would listen back to that album, I would include that in my subsequent listens. I don't know if I'm doing that with the the 1975. Or, like, I wish, one of my greatest wishes in the world is that oh. Taylor Swift song, Welcome to New York. If that were, like, a minute and 20 seconds long, Ooh. it would be so much better as, like, oh, this is just a tone setter, and it'll be over really quickly. Right, it's like, I don't take this seriously, but it's yeah. but it's going to be good. That, yeah. was, that was during a time when Taylor Swift was really big on... I, I'm probably the only person in the world who has this theory where Taylor Swift was really big on just doing whatever Sarah Bareilles just did, <laughs> but way grander. So Sarah Bareilles, uh, the blessed unrest was the, the album where like she, I think she like broke up with her boyfriend and moved to New York. she lived in California her whole life. And she, it, it was her big, like I'm in New York now album. And Taylor had already done like a couple of things that I'm like, Oh cool. It's clear that like Sarah Bareilles uh, influences Taylor Swift, that's great. Like I want the I want the the Beach Boys and Beatles influencing each other. I found Sarah Bareilles and Taylor Swift to be the Beach Boys and Beatles of this time. Uh, but then, like after she did that album, like the next song I heard by Taylor Swift was called "Welcome to New York," and I was like, oh, okay, this might be uh, taking it uh, a little far." And that uh, was that song was like the most like that was the the ultimate basic like, "Hey everybody, I live in New York now." sort of song and it it was just so just didn't go down easy see i know i like that song a lot actually but i do like really the, i like the idea i don't like that song i don't either and i like most taylor swift songs that one is not yeah it's not also that song started off secret life of pets right so i was gonna say that was the best part of secret life of pets <laughs> okay i thought that was like a good thing when i started watching secret life Pet pets i was like okay so this is gonna be good uh <laughs> Here's a, a question I have. What what if the 1975, after this 22 song album with like, I don't know, eight to 10 good songs. I'll also say, by the way, 
all the good songs or a lot of the good songs are on the second half of this so album. The, and I have I massive say. respect for that because <laughs> so that, that is, and then, that is like the 1975 making every point we've just said, which is like, Oh well, no. Why would we put, you guys are all going to be so annoyed with us. Why would we put the good songs up front? I'm going to make you fucking earn it. So I will say uh, one thing about this album is I feel like it is very representational of the 1975 as a whole experience like, yes yes so like it is very uh it's very like hey you're gonna eat this shit but we'll reward you and you're still gonna keep coming back because we're giving you enough to satisfy you like there are good songs on this album but they are fucking buried and they make you like walk through shit to get there i mean so it used to be that the 1975 the the lead track most of them, I think, are under two minutes long. They're not super long. And then the album kind of just starts after that. This one, I don't know how you guys feel about Frail State of Mind. It's not a song I like very much. Didn't like it, yeah. No. Which means that, so for me to get to the part of this album that I acknowledge in that to me is this album, I'm starting at the birthday party, which means Same. Okay, we've done... Okay. That's We've done like six minutes of Greta at the top. <laughs> then People, which is just Maddie Healy screaming about the end of the world. Right. Um, the end music for Cars doesn't have words. Frail State of Mind, I don't care for and I think is weird. And then streaming is another like ambient music thing. And then after one, two, three, four, five on the sixth track, I'm like, oh, okay. And now we have a pretty good album. I'll, I'll go even further. I told, I told DJ, I think for me, this album starts at Jesus Christ. Ugh. Like, I don't love the birthday party. Uh, and Jesus Christ was like the first palatable song for me on this album. So I, w- I was not a huge fan of that one, but... Nor I. When we were texting about it, you, you said that was your favorite. And I was like, yeah, it's like a six for me, but... It's I didn't say that was my favorite. I said that was no, the no, first no. You palatable. said like that, that was the first one you liked, and yeah. like as I was saying that I didn't like it, I was saying that I'll give you that it's a coherent song, and yeah. like that's what you're searching for on Spotify. I don't know if you guys found this. I realized this today when I went back to re-listen to it. Nineteen seventy, the nineteen seventy-five has a thing where like it's broken up in sections. Have you seen this? No, so I'm not on Spotify. First, okay, so the first three tracks uh, are its own thing. And then it says, and I'll try to show you, it says crystallized environments. And then that's the next section. Oh, is that like an, an enhanced album or something? Maybe. Frail State of Mind streaming, the birthday party. Then it says proximity. So it's okay. like a million sections of one album. And I wonder, are they trying to get people to talk about their album in terms of multiple sections like hey are you a proximity guy no me i'm more of a an avatar for reality type of gal because that has roadkill on it like that intentional or not that we are talking about their album in sections even before we knew this there's the good section and then there's the bad section okay how about this i'm gonna name i'm gonna say a bunch of sections of the album and you tell me whether what songs are on it <laughs> you tell me which one i made up okay okay gonna, all right crystallized environments oh, you showed us that one an avatar for reality the dark side of the internet irony and mass the dark side of the internet seems too much like the last album so that's yeah, false that's what i think you made up Okay, I didn't make up any of those. Those are all <laughs> okay. the things that the 1975 chose to put as sections for their album, which, like, super 1975 move. Whatever, though. Like, I, I don't dislike the 1975. I, I probably have just as difficult a time answering the question of, like, are you a fan of the 1975 as, as anyone? Because, like, I do, like, I love a lot of their songs. I just think that their song, the songs that I love are, like, more straightforward, and I would... I would guess that that's most people's experience. Like, I don't think anybody is like, hey, I really like the 1970, like my favorite 1975 song is the one that's like th- three and a half minutes of nothing. And 
Like so, he, like here's where I don't. Here's them. how I would like describe my fandom to the of the 1975. It's like if I were to recommend them to somebody, I'd be like, "Let me make you a playlist." Good way of putting it. Yes. Like I wouldn't trust somebody to go in, or I wouldn't want somebody to go in and experience all of it. <laughs> I will. Yeah. I will hand select the things that you should listen to. So I I've had. Go have ahead. A conversation with basically everyone in the music industry, but. These, these fine boys in particular, and just 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 say, look them in the eyes and say, there's nothing wrong with just making good songs. <laughs> right. Right. So, enough. so this was my question. Um, imagine if the 1975, a year from now, uh, pulled a Carly Rae Jepsen and we're like, hey, we have the, uh, we have the B-sides of this, two hour album here they are like would anybody i mean everybody would want them so then we could talk about them but like there's so much filler on their albums that I have to call it it's the seasides at that point like it's it's gone on too long yeah um is matt healy mean that's a question because he uh, another thing that we we've discussed in this podcast is he was super mean to the guy from Imagine Dragons and we like busting chops as much as the next guy but he was just like unequivocally mean about Imagine Dragons do do you, either of you guys recall this so, no i don't i don't really remember this um but oh. i do know that he's mean and my editor at CBS said that he's very mean to the lead singer of a band that he likes, which is Pine Grove. Ooh. Well, there's a Pine Grove reference on this album. Oh, ooh. What is it? I didn't realize that they had beef. I, I thought saw Pine had- Grove in Cincinnati and they sucked. Like, that's <laughs> the- <laughs> Wait, is that true? No, but it'd be hilarious. <laughs> Imagine if this had tied up so perfectly that the one time you'd been to Cincinnati, which is fewer times than Maddie Healy's been yeah. To see a Pine Grove show, no. Um, is I think it might be on the birthday party. The lyric is like, like we went to the Pine Grove show. We didn't know about all the other stuff or something. Which to me, I've thought about that lyric a lot because it's just like at every turn they find some way to pull in like, oh yeah, sort of on were- internet things. They were going to go to the Pine Grove show, but they didn't know about all the weird stuff. So they just left it. (laughs) Also, so I don't like the I don't like the the Internet ownership uh, from 1975. I think that they're really infringing on Father John Misty's turf. I don't know. I'm always going to associate the 1975 and Father John Misty because I feel that like they deserve one another's reputations. But like talking about how the Internet is ruining us all. Father John Misty invented that. And it's not a necessarily unique concept. Like, I don't think any one person can own that. But I feel that 1975 is, like, becoming known for that being their thing. And Father John Misty did that brilliantly and better than anyone ever will. But it's also, like, it's also kind of ironic because I feel like a a good portion of the 1975's fan base is, like, very online. Oh, God, yeah, of course. Like, virtual reality and stuff, like... Which is an outgrowth of the interwebs. Yeah. Uh, here, so here's the Imagine Dragons thing. He said in 2017, Matt Healy said, uh, songs like Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. Oh, he was complaining about like music today, which, God, what a fucking Greta Van Fleet move. Um, songs like Radioactive by Imagine Dragons, it might as well be called Pikachu Banana. It's nothingness. And then... The guy from Imagine Dragons, if memory serves, posted like a screen grab of like a super long like note, one of the notepad things, and was like, yo, I am super bummed that the guy from 1975 like doesn't fuck with us. Like I re- I'm really we're really trying to, to make the best music we can. And like th- those guys inspire us. So like it's uh, it's really disappointing that like they don't like us and that we've made such a bad impression on them that they feel the need to like say like you, you just really feel for this guy then maddie healy's response to that was like come on get up and fight me like a man or what you're a little butthurt because someone said you sucked and it's like dude he just said like you fucking hurt his feel leave him alone 
Wow. I did not know that story. I may be retelling it incorrectly, but that is how I remember it. Uh, Let me see. Uh, Maddie Healy to Imagine Dragons, quote, why do you care? Which is the dickest thing in the, we've talked about that too. Like whenever someone, like the the douchiest thing someone can ever say is a comeback is why do you care? Especially after they like just explained why they care. He's like that you, you are an influence and like, we like you and, and that. And it's like, so why do you care? Oh, get off. <laughs> Fight me like a man. Ugh. I have to be honest. That's not consistent with the things that I like about Maddie Healy. So on that level, I guess that's a bummer. However, I don't think I would give up now knowing that that happened because that's hysterical <laughs> in order for the Imagine Dragons guy to have felt better for a few days. So that's something that I'm going to have to come to terms with just on my own. But I, that's kind of funny. So that's such a weird feud. And, and that's part of the 1975 experience where like, uh, they, like, do they understand that like, they're not calling the shots. Like they're a good <laughs> pop rock band. You know, like if, I don't know, I'm trying to think like if, um, well, who's like somebody else on their level? Who's like another, like, like if uh, a good uh, comparison would be uh, Haley Williams. If Haley Williams all of a sudden started being a dick to everyone, people would be like, yo, we hate to say it, Haley, but you're just Haley Williams. And like, then everyone, then like, it would be like a, a big fucking thing. So like, just like. You're 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 not the Beatles here. You're not whoever. Like you're not you're not Kendrick Lamar is what I'm saying. So I don't like taking the shots at other people who really are like kind of on your like. I would say like Imagine Dragons are a punching bag for sure, and like they're very silly and they're very very basic. But 975 is like a lot of uh, kind of false bravado. So like just because you've decided that you're the fucking man doesn't mean you can go pick go around picking on everybody. I don't know. I, for some reason, I'm very defensive of the Imagine Dragons. I'm realizing. I think that's really. Well, it's sweet. like little brother syndrome. It's like we. It's like we can make fun of them, but Matt Healy, shut up! Like, stop being so mean. Yeah, kick your ass. That's my little brother. <laughs> yeah, I'm allowed to say it. That's Imagine yeah. Dragons, you're talking about. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, do, do, do people like to shit on? Them? Like, I've never heard someone be like, "Yo." Magic Dragons fucking sucks. Like we all know like what they are and we all making joke. We all like making jokes about them. And obviously thunder like is a, has been a big fucking joke for a million different people, but I don't think anyone ever has to expressly in particular two I can think of, but I don't think anybody has expressly said like, Hey, so you know how Imagine Dragons fucking sucks? Like, you don't have to say it. Yeah. Just, like, don't say that. Make whatever jokes and have whatever fun you want with Imagine Dragons. You don't have to actually say, like, they fucking suck. Yeah, and I feel like 90% of the Imagine Dragons jokes are, are not about them sucking. It's about them just being everywhere and just being, like, so overexposed to everything Imagine Dragons. Yeah, which... Th- also, maybe bitterness about, like, I don't know if Matty Healy or the 1975 feel that this is their rightful place but you are going to see a lot more imagine dragon songs in the top 10 of the rock charts oh, than you'll yeah. ever see 19 they had like the number they had like, like three that. of the top five all the time like, yeah all the time. Every, like, rock chart it is all imagine dragons yeah. all of the time unless like Greta Van Fleet has <laughs> surpassed them. And Matt, if you wanted, that could be you. This could be right. us. You playing? You're making 400 hour long albums. <laughs> if you were just doing "Love It If We Made It" and "Fucking Love Me," and I don't know, I'm thinking of all songs that that have love in the them. Sound. If, you, if yeah, if you're doing the sound, sex, whatever, then then you are you're making a killing just like them. So pick a lane. If you're not going to be like Imagine Dragons, don't fucking knock their hustle, man. That's super yeah. mean. I feel like a lot of people, hate, a lot of bands and musicians hate Imagine Dragons because they quote unquote sold out, which like they for sure did. They make songs that are like about nothing and they just tailor them to be uh, radio hits. But like they they own that. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And, the, and the lead singer of Imagine Dragons was like, yeah, I have a lot of money. And like were, were, <laughs> Imagine, Dragons, were Imagine Dragons ever like hustling in clubs? Like I don't think that we can say they sold out because I think it's they just, just kind of started. They yeah. yeah, they just started. <laughs> How do we make money? 
Yeah. Like, I think the first, so the first song, if you were telling me the first song they wrote was radioactive, I'd be like, yeah, probably. They probably just, <laughs> like, I used to, you go to like Las Vegas and like ask around, like, hey, uh, what was Imagine Dragons like in the early days? Everyone would be like, we've never fucking heard of those guys or met them. They're actually like just, they're the chain smokers sitting on each other's shoulders, like wearing a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> Isolation. Oh.